Hello, and welcome back to the Black Valor Podcast with your host, Jamie M. Parks. Every two weeks, I take a look at the contributions that black Americans have made to our society through service, and this week is no different. I've got quite a good show for you, and I'll just mention right off the front half of the show, if you'd like to hear more, please go to www.blackvalor.net. And this week, as I promised two weeks ago, we're going to be talking about the 369th Infantry Regiment. Before I get into the show, there's been some developments over the last two weeks. Most importantly, I think, to the podcast and what I've been focusing on recently was a controversy that occurred over the president's comments on people kneeling at the NFL. It's turned into a big issue, one that has strayed away significantly from why Colin Kaepernick even began to kneel at those events. It's become more of just a rallying cry of solidarity, which is good. We do need solidarity right now in our country. At the same time, we're missing the point of why, which was the protests of police brutality. So I would like to weigh in a little bit just from my perspective. Colin Kaepernick began kneeling because he had spoken with a former Green Beret who was also now a Seattle Seahawks player, Nate Boyer. Nate Boyer had expressed his concern and talked about what the flag meant to him after serving in combat zones and having seen and experienced uh, the loss of soldiers and friends. And together, they decided that kneeling was a better option. That's because when you lay a soldier to rest for their final time, They'll often kneel in front of the, the coffin. And also when soldiers are on patrol, they'll take a knee as a way to stop, pause, and their, do security to protect their environment before they move on. I personally have kneeled only one time, and that was when I was transporting a, a fallen soldier while I was uh, deployed. Other than that, I am standing at attention whenever I hear the national anthem. Having said that, though, I can understand why... Others would kneel. They have a right to do that. I believe, and I could say this for most of the military people I know, including myself, that when we took our oath of enlistment, it was to the Constitution and the people of America and not to flag and a song. Those are symbols, and we hold those symbols up to represent everything that's good about America, which is why I and, again, most military will stand and give our proper respect to the flag. But what's really disturbed me about the current conversation is how often people will say that, oh, this is to represent the soldiers, or you're disrespecting the soldiers. But it comes from people who have never served a day in their life in the military. And I'm, to be blunt, sick and tired of people speaking on behalf of soldiers and airmen and those in the Navy and Marines. Because if you haven't served, how do you know? Now, there's going to be people who are in the military who will find what uh, those who are kneeling are doing is very disrespectful. And again, that's fine for them to feel that. But our Constitution protects that right to peaceful protest, which is what it is. And so to say that the soldiers are the reason why you should be outraged is false. We should be outraged that... Young black men and other people of color are being gunned down without any cause because they don't have weapons or not threatening officers. That is what the protest was about initially. 
and the message that should still be ringing loud and clear because it hasn't stopped in uh, what 15, 18 months or whatever when he started the protest. Also, the national anthem itself is problematic if you go beyond the initial stanzas that everyone sings. Uh, we encourage everyone to read up on what the national anthem lyrics are. And the third stanza pretty much lays out that it's America's built on spilling the blood of free men and slaves who dared to fight against the people who kept them enslaved. So it's baked in the violence against blacks is in the national anthem and is also the cause for the current protests against those who would not stand for it. So think on that. Now that said, I would like to get into today's podcast, which uh, again is on the 369th Infantry founding. And really I'm talking about the politics in this episode. The founding of the 369th, or I should say the 15th New York Guard Infantry Regiment, which is what it was called at its uh, conception, was not a certain thing. There was a lot of politics that went into forming the unit, getting it outfitted, and actually placed into service. So I would like to first just look at the time period that surrounded the founding of the unit. Uh, that, era, that period just prior to World War One marked a regression of equal rights initiatives for blacks in America in many ways. Uh, at the dawn of the 20th century, it brought legalized segregation to the South and lynchings, which were a, black, a backlash to the advances blacks had made during Reconstruction. And the North was not a innocent in all of that either. Northerners may not have overtly instituted Jim Crow laws in many places, but uh, cultural norms made segregation commonplace there as well. And even the violence did not escape people who were in the North. In 1908, there were race riots in Springfield, Illinois, the last of three days. And then again in 1917 in East St. Louis and 1919 in Chicago, Illinois, the South was not alone in problems of race. So it was not guaranteed that this unit would be founded. There was a lot of opposition. Battle had to be fought in the political sphere for this unit to be stood up. The large migration of blacks to the north for work in factory towns helped create some of that tension amongst the different racial groups that were uh, competing for work. This is primarily fostered as well by President Woodrow Wilson, who facilitated the segregation of federal offices, which had not experienced that since the end of the uh, Civil War. He also sat over the expansion of the KKK and had the dubious distinction of hosting the first movie shown at the White House, which was, of course, Birth of a Nation, which fanned racial animosity around the country, led to many lynchings. And as I said before, uh, expansion of the KKK because it glorified it. So at this point, the U.S. Army had allowed blacks to serve, but they had to be placed in segregated units with white officers. And oftentimes the units that were colored at the time, as they were called, were mainly stationed in the West. So out of sight, out of mind on the frontier. Uh, the black community had orchestrated protests that would force the army to begin training black officers, but they could only exert authority over black troops. And at this time, there were only three blacks who had actually graduated from West Point uh, at the dawn of World War I starting. Uh, 
So at the beginning of the war, or the period leading up to the war, I should say, uh, luminaries like A. Philip Randolph and W.E.B. Du Bois, excuse me, W.E.B. Du Bois, weighed in on the plight of black men that were fighting for democracy while they were denied full citizenship, despite blacks dying for America in every war since the revolution. Blacks had requested a regiment since the outbreak of the Spanish-American War in New York, but none of the governors had agreed to put forward a bill. Governor John Alden Dix, uh, not to be confused with Governor John Adams Dix, who was uh, governor from 1845 to 1849, there was no relation, but he indicated he would draft legislation for an all-black guard regiment as early as 1911, but the men in New York continued to wait. Nothing had come of that. There were two black community groups that were also trying to get a black regiment or colored regiment stood up in New York, the Equity Congress and United Colored Democracy. But they fought over who had convinced Governor Dix to get the idea to create a regiment. So you imagine two black groups fighting over who should get credit for the governor deciding to start a black regiment. It's kind of ludicrous. The regiment being stood up should be only... The only thing that would satisfy them. But no, they had to determine who was going to get credit. So there was some struggles between the black community itself and with the wider political community that was controlled by the the whites in uh, New York. There was Adjutant General William Verbeck. He was in charge of the New York National Guard. And he stated that there would never be a black regiment in the New York National Guard. Fortunately, there were some assemblymen throughout the years who were sympathetic to the plight of the colored folks who wanted to actually serve. Louis Culliver was an assemblyman whose district included Harlem. He presented the Assembly Bill 1628 on 19 April 1911, the call for a colored regiment of infantry. Now, if approved, that regiment would have consisted of one colonel, one lieutenant colonel, three captains, a chaplain, sergeant major, three battalions, and 12 companies, and, of course, a band. Bill 1628 actually did pass both the House and the legislature in July, and it only needed Governor Dix to sign. But he dithered. He refused to make a decision and just let the bill sit on his desk. So that pretty much killed the initiative. Governor Dix was a Democrat, and at the time, most of the blacks in New York voted Republican. So there is some speculation that maybe because he couldn't count on the vote of the blacks, there wasn't any real incentive for him to move this measure. Though I would think that that would be a good way to win quite a few over to your cause. You'll see that then, as now, the political parties are not above doing the wrong thing just to spite their opponents. The two groups that were trying to get this legislation passed promised Governor Dix that if he would just put forward and approve the bill that was already passed by the House and Senate, that the blacks in New York that voted Republican would in the next election, vote for the Democrat, which would be him, keeping him in power or at least his party. Uh, when Culliver, a Democrat, got reelected 
a Republican newspaper had printed an article that accused him of submitting the bill just to get the black vote and that he never actually intended to push for the creation of the colored regiment. While the groups within the colored community were fighting, the greater political parties of the Republican and Democrat were playing games. Then on 29 December 1911, over a thousand black men in New York signed a petition addressed to Governor John Dix that demanded he create a black National Guard regiment. Charles W. Fillmore led this effort. He was previously an officer in the 9th Ohio Battalion who had moved to New York to realize his dream of establishing a black regiment after he was passed over for command in Ohio. Obviously, he wanted to be the person that would lead the new regiment once it was stood up. The men who signed the petition represented the cream of the crop in New York's black society. They were teachers, lawyers, doctors, shop owners, and some of them were even former soldiers who had experience. This group named Fillmore as the acting colonel, and they actually completed recruitment for a full battalion of 231 men without any formal permission or really backing from the state. And this was followed shortly afterwards by two more battalions. There was another bill that was presented on 18 January 1912 by Assemblyman Dean Wilson, but Governor Dix refused to sign the second bill as well. In the interim, the Equity Congress helped Charles Fillmore outfit the unofficial regiment while the bill moved through the House of Representatives. Some members of the Equity Congress also joined the unofficial regiment, which added further weight to the proposal. Not only did they come in as members who were going to be soldiers in this regiment, but that also added clout because, again, these were men who had some uh, weight within the political realms in New York. Roughly 600 of the men actually marched down Broadway on 12 February 1912 and a self-proclaimed provisional regiment that they had established. Democrat Assemblyman Thomas Kane brought forward another bill in 1913 as uh, Assembly Bill 2100. Then on 2 June 1913, Governor Sulzer, who had taken over the position, he had actually come into office in November 1912. But he was sympathetic to the cause of the colored uh, members of New York or excuse me, colored uh, men in New York, and he signed the bill into law that authorized New York's first black National Guard regiment. Things were looking up. They had finally gotten a bill through the House and Senate, and the governor had signed it, which meant that a regiment was going to be created. Unfortunately for them, Sulzer was actually impeached in October 1913 for campaign fund improprieties and the new governor, Martin H. Glenn, did not support the new regiment at this time. C. Franklin Carr, who was an adjutant for Fillmore, submitted a request to the National Guard Adjutant General to name Cornelius Vanderbilt as a new colonel for the regiment. Now, he did not talk to Fillmore before he sent this petition up. He was hoping to sidestep Fillmore that so that he could be put in charge ultimately. But this was not only wrong, but it would have placed complete white leadership over 
a black regiment, which is one of the things that they were trying to get away from to prove that blacks could lead themselves in the military. Fillmore, once he found out about this letter, actually relieved Carr from his position as adjutant and as treasurer. At the same time, W.E.B. Du Bois and Oswald Garrison Villard, who was grandson of William Lloyd Garrison, were trying to place Major Charles Young from Fillmore's old regiment in Ohio as a commander. Now, Charles Young was actually the person who had taken Fillmore's position in the first place. Uh, so obviously Fillmore was not too pleased with that either. Regardless, the bill, even though it was approved and signed, just languished there. No one did anything to activate the unit to supply it with men and material. It just sat there until certain world events came about that brought this to light again. And that was the raids by Pancho Villa in March of 1916. It led to the mobilization of National Guard units across the country, which included New York. New York's portion of the bill to pay was to send nine of 13 regiments to the Rio Grande border for patrols and to hold off any enemy from coming into America. The now Republican governor, Charles Whitman, resurrected efforts to fully staff and equip the black regiment as the 15th New York National Guard Infantry Regiment. William Hayward, who was the public service commissioner, was quoted as saying the 15th was conceived in politics, born in ridicule, and reared in opposition. Governor Whitman thought that the colored regiment should be built and given a chance to prove itself, or they should repeal the law. It wasn't fair to have this regiment exist on paper and just languish. So he was willing to give the men a chance to prove themselves. Then on 16 June 1916, William Haber Hayward was appointed the first colonel of the regiment. Based on his service in the Philippines during the Spanish-American War and because of his connections, he was a close friend to Governor Whitman and others in those political circles. His second was Major Lorillard Spencer. Major Lorillard Spencer came from a very wealthy family, but it was one that was com committed to service and to give the others. His mother had actually renounced her wealth to go to the Philippines to help children there. While Spencer was named as his second by the governor, Hayward actually requested that the newly minted Lieutenant Colonel Charles Young could be assigned to the 15th. Charles Young was the third black man to uh, ever graduate from West Point, and that would have given him some more authority with the other black men in the unit because it would prove that they didn't have just white officers at the top, but there would have been someone that they could uh, look to. Also, Young had recently received national attention on 12 April 1916 when he led soldiers in the 10th U.S. Cavalry on a mission at Hacienda Santa Cruz de la Villegas. The ferocity of his squadron's attack had inspired the Mexican citizens who watched them to call them devils and not Americans. Unfortunately, Young remained with the cavalry until he was medically retired in 1917. And that's a whole nother story that I'll probably talk about when I go over the different personalities uh, who were attached to this unit. Fillmore was obviously left out, even though for years he had stood as the interim or the unofficial colonel of the unit. 
He did a lot of work in trying to organize the men to fill out this regiment, campaigning on behalf of a regiment. He was kind of left out in the dark. No one wanted him. He wound up enlisting as a private in the regiment. Eventually, though, they gave him a captaincy and placed him in command of the 1st Battalion at 52 years old. So that is just a brief rundown on some of the politics that went into establishing the 15th New York Regiment that would become the 369th Infantry Regiment. My sources for this week are much the same as for the last episode, that there is a few new ones. The first one is What the Presidential Portrait Left Out by the Princeton Alumni, Alumni Weekly website. Star-Spangled Bigotry, The Hidden Races History of the National Anthem on TheRoot.com. Charles Young on Arlington National Cemetery website. Harlem's Hellfighters, When Pride Met Courage by Walter Dean Myers and Bill Miles. Harlem's Hellfighters, The African-American 369th Infantry in World War I by Stephen L. Harris. Photographs of the 369th Infantry and African-Americans during World War I on the National Archives Records Administration website. Who Were the Harlem Hellfighters by Henry Louis Gates Jr. on PBS.org. 369th Infantry Regiment in World War I on New York State Military Museum and Veterans Research Center site. 93rd Division Summary of Operations in the World War on the history.army.mil site. And 369th Infantry Regiment on the World Heritage Encyclopedia at Gutenberg.us. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I will be back in two weeks with another episode on the uh, initial founding up until probably when the regiment is getting ready to go overseas. So that will be in two weeks. And again, you can find us at www.blackvalor.net. You can send an email to me at blackvalor1010 at gmail.com. On Twitter, I am at blackvalor1010. And on Facebook, it's just blackvalor. And of course, this site is hosted on Podbean as well. So you can find it there. These views that I've expressed are clearly my own and do not represent in any way the United States Air Force or the United States government. I will see you in two weeks.